Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am so excited to have Summer serve on the program. Summer was born in the U.S., but grew up overseas as the daughter of two international school educators. After returning to the U.S., she trained as an artist and a teacher, earning her BFA degree at Parsons School of Design and her master's in Waldorf Waldorf Early Childhood Education at Sunbridge College. She taught nursery and kindergarten at the Great Barrington Rudolph Steiner School for 15 years before leading the parent-child program there. In 2020, she started her own program, mentoring parents and teaching outdoor parent-child classes on the campuses of Hawthorne Valley School and the Bookshire Waldorf School. There is more, but I will let you go into the show notes and read more of her <laughs> bio so we don't spend too much time going going over that. I was really, I'm really excited to have Summer on the program. My kids went to Waldorf. I, I've studied Rudolf Steiner um, a lot, and I'm a big fan of the philosophy. So welcome to the program, Summer. Thank you, Marla. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's so nice to have you. So why don't, for those of my listeners who really don't know what the philosophy of the of the Waldorf School is or Rudolf Steiner, um, can you just explain that and how you got interested in that? Well, yeah, it's hard to put it in just a little nutshell, but I'll do my <laughs> best <laughs> because it's kind of like an onion. Once you start to learn a little bit more, more becomes apparent and you peel back all the layers, but Really, um, Waldorf education is really um, a holistic approach to educating the human being. Um, So we're taking really into consideration that each person actually arrives on this earth with a journey, a task. Some people call it destiny, some people call it karma. Um, And that they're not, that children are not empty slates that need filling, really. Um, And they're coming to this earth with a task and they need to have an education that helps them experience the world and learn about themselves and their community and the world at large through all the modalities. So that would be through their head, through their heart and through their body. And then through this process, and there's a carefully constructed curriculum that really uh, takes into consideration all the developmental periods that a child goes through from birth to 21. And um, they learn um, best how to become the individual that they are going to be and also how they're going to live in a community and make changes because really you were educating children were actually creating the future they've come to Mm -hmm. do things that we may not ever 
see. So for us to educate them solely out of our past experiences isn't really what they need right now, especially now. Um, and so that they can really go forth into the world freely, carry out their individual destiny. Um, and I remember people used to say who are a little skeptical about my own children's education in the world of schooling is that, well, how are they going to learn how to live in the real world? Um, because we've carefully protected their childhood and um, kind of they have a different way of learning. And they become so curious with the world and the actual learning is really joyful for them. And I really thought about this and I thought, well, the real world as we see it now is really not what it's going to be when they become adults and need to go out in the world. And I'd rather educate them in a way that allows them to express their own inner freedom, but also make changes in the world that we really want to see. Um, because we're all in an evolution process. This isn't stagnant. So um, yeah, so really just in a nutshell, from birth to seven, children really learn by doing. And so this is, you know, the body and we really work um, in the early childhood realm carefully with children especially by um, being the best human beings that we can be as teachers so that we can model, you know, ways of being and also just um, be worthy of their imitation. And then from seven to 14, children are really learning by feeling and there's so much artistic and storytelling um, activities and they create their own, um, they're not learning from a textbook per se, but they create their own books that they're, you know, expressing what they're learning. Uh, lots of music, uh, lots of kinesthetic ways of learning mathematics and science. It's just really alive. It's not a deadened philosophy. It's really alive. And it really is all about who these children are before us. I think Steiner said, I don't know the exact quote, but there is really no book where you can learn to be a teacher. The book is the children themselves. So you mm. allow it to unfold based on who is before you. It's going to be different than it was last year and the way it is next year. These children, who they are is how you need to be. Um, and then from 14 to 21, really through the thinking. And it doesn't mean that children aren't, you know, moving their bodies, feeling and thinking in all of these developmental periods. It's just that there's a, a real concentration and a real kind of, it's an awakening and they go through thresholds of um, behavior changes and really um, consciousness changes between these periods that sometimes are like mini crises that we see and that how we uh, hold them and care for them. And it's all done in community. So we, we see the children for their individuality and what they need, but we also are really careful to make sure that they find harmony within themselves, but also within the world at large and their next door neighbors in their classroom um, and that they move and work together in this way. And I think, you know, was it Yeats who said that education is not the filling of a pail, but the igniting of a fire. Mm -hmm. And so you're really igniting that spark within each human being. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Waldorf has, it, it is um, so very true that people are um, 
they easily begin asking, well, I heard your kids weren't going to read until they were in, you know, third grade. And what about the test scores? How do you know where they are? I remember one friend of mine told me, said that to me. And I found it so sad, you know, because I just remember the Waldorf classroom when, you know, I first took them and um, it was even before first grade filled with, will you tell us what a Waldorf classroom is like for the littlest of the littlest, the before? <laughs> yeah, I think we, we called it pre-K. I don't know. What did we call it? Three days? I think it's <laughs> summer pre-K. Some call it nursery. Yeah. Um, there's mixed it. age kindergarten. Some kindergartens are from three to six year olds all together. There's very wow. much a fa family atmosphere. I actually have some students in my training that um, have classrooms with one to seven year olds. So that's wow. like a real, that's a family. It's so beautiful. It's, yeah. it's I, just to segue really quickly. It's um, what was the, the movie? I don't know if it was produced by somebody involved with Waldorf, but they weren't, they should have been involved with Waldorf, but it was the little ones um, working with the, with elders. I mean, mm, people yeah. that were in home and, and really sharing and talking and, and not just going in to do a project, but I found that, I found that so beautiful. So just walk us through, I have a lot of questions, but um, what the classroom is like for the little ones. Well, for an early childhood classroom, and I think that's probably what strikes the parents first when they come in, um, but is by no means the end-all be-all of, yes. of how it is. They are usually very beautiful, and it's very important that we that the children are surrounded by an environment that's really well thought out, um, has a soul quality, a living, breathing quality, um, all natural toys. Um, very cozy, home-like, um, and there's so many different manifestations of this. There's no, you know, wrong way. I've been mentoring teachers for so many years, and I love going into their classrooms and seeing how they put it together. It's very, mm. it's very much of an art form. I feel like, yes. um, you know, the teachers do a lot of handwork and create things for their classroom, whether it's knitting the placemat. Um, or felting a wall mural or, um, you know, crocheting a water bottle holder that they would hold when they go to take a nap in the winter. So it's really about um, creating a, an optimal sensory experience so that all the foundational senses are nurtured. So this sense of touch and the sense of life, which is your sense of well-being in your body, and the sense of movement, and the sense of um, balance—you know, all of the movement that needs to happen in those classrooms. Because there's lively, joyful circles that are going on. There's, you know, independent, um, imaginative, creative play that is self-initiated by the children. So their toys are really open-ended. They don't just have one purpose. Um, and it's so beautiful to watch, especially a four or five-year-old, which are really, that's like the magical play time because they're, you know, they could find big stumps and a basket of small stumps and they could create, you know, a little puppet show. Maybe they're imitating one with a lot of their own elaborations from something they saw their teacher do. 
Um, it could be something that happened in their life. Then those stumps became a chair for a train. Then they get rolled and they, they turn into a fort. And this all happens in the matter of like 20 minutes. The transformation process in a classroom is just fascinating mm. to see. And as a teacher, you're not there to direct them how to play. You're of course there to keep them safe and to redirect if things um, socially are getting, you know, how to model good social behavior and how to help them out of something if, if it's really hard for them. At, you know, for example, if they tend to watch a lot of media, then their imaginative forces aren't really that strong. And so it, they may tend to kind of play a media character over and over and over because they can't process it. And so you help them work through that. Um, but the the creativity of having toys that are open-ended and it's like the world is their oyster. You could, some people say, could go into an early childhood classroom and see the children playing and all of life's major situations that mm. you would see in an adult world, whether it's political or social or what have you, is all being worked out right, right there with the five-year-old. All the different the archetypes. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so, so, so it's very soft and it's very gentle and it's very rhythmical as well. Yeah. What would you suggest to parents or caregivers that, you know, are listening and, and thinking, I mean, I, in my in my own mind and heart, it's like, who wouldn't want this sort of thing for their child? But everyone feels differently about things. But for those of you, those of them that are interested in creating something like this in a busy home with siblings, mm -hmm. probably, what are the little tidbits you can give to them to to help this creativity and softness and all the mm -hmm. things that you're talking about? Well, I think the, one of the most important things, and, and when I'm working also with parents with infants, I'm also working right. on this self-initiated play, which really generally comes from the ability to have opportunities for free movement. We tend in our world to constrict children so much with, you know, putting them in places and, and carrying them places and strapping them into things, but for them to have freedom of movement. Um, allows this self-initiated play to come and this exploration, which they need to have. And of course, in a safe environment. Um, and what allows children to have this independence, this curiosity, and this um, kind of the real uh, curiosity, ability to go forth and try things on their own is to have this healthy attachment from the very beginning with their caregivers. Um, and that comes about with our very conscious um, and respectful care of the child, of the baby, of the toddler, of the preschooler, that when we are doing things with them and are, are in the very beginning, when you first have your baby and your toddler, it feels like, oh my gosh, all I'm ever doing is diapering and washing and feeding and diapering and washing, feeding over and over. But those are not things that you just get through to get to the other moments, those are the moments, you know, and the older the child is, you know, we talk about transition moments and how those are very um, wrought with feelings and tantrums and children have a hard time moving from one to another activity. Those transition moments are the moments 
you know, when we created our um, classrooms, the transitions are as big as anything else. So the song that helps to guide them to the next thing or the soft and gentle touch that we have and our eyes looking straight at them while we're putting on the boots or while we're putting on the hat. It's gentle, it's not rushed. We're not getting it done just to move on to the next thing, to go to the shopping or to the park or whatever. Mm -hmm. Those moments are so important. And if you can create a rhythm to your day, so if, you're, if your days have a rhythm, your weeks have a rhythm, your years even have a rhythm, that to me is kind of, I've always said it to parents as like the boat that carries you all along. It helps you create your family culture. It helps the children know what comes next without over intellectualization about explaining. They just feel it in their body what's next because it's the same every day. Um, and it helps them to feel safe because they know what's happening and there's less likely to be temper tantrums. There's less likely to be need for real discipline because you've got, they know what they're doing and they move freely through it. Of course, you're going to have moments where it all falls <laughs> apart, even in the best scenarios. <laughs> um, but that rhythmical lifestyle is also helpful for, for parents, for adults. Like we don't have enough of that in our life. Rhythm, ritual, you know, lighting a candle for dinner, making sure that we're all sitting down, singing a special song. Um, all of these things are so simple to execute, but the children feel them so deeply. And if we can really set ourselves and realize that children live in the present and all of our future thinking and our worries about the past don't, don't help them. They just right. are here now, just like those care moments if we're here now then they feel free to go off and play on their own we don't have to entertain them they're like okay my needs have been met my mommy loves me my daddy loves me my grandma loves me I can go do this thing now it's not conscious but they feel it right. it's like they're carrying you with them like a little warm blanket and mm -hmm. they can go do what they need to do yeah. I remember when one of my sons was um, nine years old and I was reading um, about nine-year-olds. I love those those little books. And he was, he I would say he was shy and he, anyway, and it said it was a, such a wonderful time to get a pet. And so we went out and we got a puppy and like this Dakota and Matt, they ended up, I'm mean, like, get teary. They ended up like having their own language, you know, it was mm -hmm. so, it was such the perfect thing for him, for him to feel safe and that he had a friend. And um, I remember someone saying, well, it's a nine year old kind of shows you what you can look forward to as an adolescent. I don't know if that's true or not. But, yeah. They go but, through such deep, deep turmoils at yeah, that time. But yeah, at that to. age. But it was just yeah. so helpful for him. So, Summer, what about um, kids? I know this was always something with at our school. Well, when we were there, it only went until eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And so most of the children would then, and even after it, they they expanded it to high school. Many kids end up going, those later years going to public school or, so this is kind of twofolded. First of all, when they're young, 
and they're immersed in the Waldorf school, but also they have, you know, they live in a neighborhood where most kids don't go to school there. How does one handle trying to create or really creating this atmosphere in the home, but then them going out and, and playing at your at mom's best friend's house and her child who's on video games, who's on, you know, has little play guns as, and all of those sort of things. Yeah, it's so hard. It's I so know. hard to protect our children's childhood in this world. And I really think you have to, you know, as a, as a Waldorf teacher, it was easy for me to step into the idealism of it all and trying to make sure it yes. was perfect all the me time. Too. Me too. My, my <laughs> husband was very good at reminding me that it's not going to be that way because you have to, you have to make nice with other friends too. Right, right. You know, we would set, send them off to, uh, to their grandmothers and their cousins would be there. And of course, life was completely different in the beginning. I tried to control that and try to make it a certain way and ask them not to do this. But then I thought, this is their house. I, I really can't do that. I can say at our house, this is what we do. And children will come home and like, why don't they get to do there? Why does she always get a play date after school? And I don't. And I was like, because I really want to see you after school. I want your sister and you to enjoy each other's company. I want to have our special time together. You've been together all day at school. You don't need a play date too. Maybe <laughs> on the weekend we can. But I feel like I would definitely have been a little less um, controlling if I had to do it over again. But I do feel like the birth to seven years, that did require yes. a, a protection. And you have and a that, lot of control in those early years. You do. Or at least we did. Too. We just kind of like hung three little kids, just kind of hung out together. Yeah, you yeah, do. And there's such a difference because I feel like when you talk about creating your family culture, um, I think, you know, I've heard a colleague once said it's like a clay pot and you have these loving boundaries that you make. Mm. And these are the parameters that you set up as a family. Right. And they don't cross those boundaries, but everything inside that pot is freedom of, you know, any kind of freedom of speech or freedom of creativity, or they can figure it out as they like, but there's freedom within those boundaries. Right. And the children feel held. And the children that test boundaries often are the ones whose boundaries kind of don't stay firm. Exactly. You know, and in our world, I really feel like that's common. Like those boundaries don't stay firm, but then because we get upset because they're testing them, that there's no freedom within. It's like an, an inverted pot, really. Yeah. But then as the children get older, you do have to expand that pot and the boundaries have to move out. But it's not like you all of a sudden drop them completely. They have to just gradually expand to fit the growing development of your child of where they are. And you hope that whatever you, those years that you can control and hold sacred, that you have given them enough sense of self and of family values that when they do go forth into the world, even at nine, 12, 14, whatever, that they will resonate with that and that will be with them always. Of course, they're gonna test the boundaries. Of course, they may go through down few a few struggling paths, but you, your hope is that they will come back 
if you were able to give that in a way that's free, that they also feel like they can come and talk to you anytime. You want to mm. leave that space open that they can feel confident that if things in another person's house feel so different and foreign, like, let's talk about that. What, right. what is that? Why is that? And this is why we do it like that here. Hey, you want to try that out? That's fine. But a lot of times then they realize like, no, I love it. I love it here. This yes, is good. I yes. feel protected or I'll go try that. And then I feel, oh, I feel safe at home. Yeah. I think it's such an vital time in our world for this education to flourish even more so. Um, mm. You know, our children, there's so much stress, so much going on, so much chaos and turmoil. Mm -hmm. And I know that some may say, well, they're just little kids. I mean, what's, what, what's this going to, you know, how's this going to change them as an adult? But we all know now <laughs> with yeah. psychology and all of the things that are happening in this world with anxiety, depression, everything else in our youth that, and even, uh, you know, older adults, that so much of it just goes back to the childhood, you know, it back does. to those days as, as a young child. It's been shown over and over and over again. And that's why this is just so incredibly important. Um, do you feel that kids are different these days? Because, and I don't really mean from a, a point of, being more literate in computers and this and that. But I've interviewed a few experts in like children who've had NDE, near-death experiences and, and how they've come back and um, told these beautiful, you know, experience, told about these beautiful experiences they've had. But not only that, that some have seen, not just children, but adults too, that so many children are just kind of like pouring into the world right now that are the change makers that are the mm -hmm. kids that are really concerned about climate. Sometimes it's almost too heavy for them because they are so yeah. concerned about all the things that are going on in this world. Do you have, in, in your experience, have you felt that there's a kind of a transformation going on with these children that are coming in? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I would think it's, a couple of things going on. One is that these children are coming in with maybe, you know, if you think of reincarnation or you mm -hmm. think of a way, a different we way. We've all this on this show. So. Oh, good. If you think <laughs> of it in that way, you know, they're maybe coming in with their group soul. And this is, this is the task that I'm here for, or I didn't finish the task in my last life and I have to finish it now. Right. Um, and maybe a whole bunch of children are coming in to to do it together. And we don't know what that is, which is kind of beautiful in a way. And coming um, in at this specific time. At this specific time, oh, or maybe, is... you know, or maybe there was, you know, some particular event that had them all leave last time at yes. the same time too, and that they have to come back. Um, but the other thing is that we as a society are more awake and aware and more conscious, which mm -hmm. is a good thing. But um, young children still need to be protected in that they don't need all the information all the time. 
And we tend to want to give them all the information. We have such good meaning because we want them to know about the world and we want them to learn about how to recycle and protect the environment. And we want them to live in nature, but actually we need to allow them to experience it themselves because they may um, take something in completely different than the way we would experience it. And so we need to allow them the freedom to have their own relationship with nature and their own understanding. Because we, if we intellectualize things for them, even in our most well-meaning way, we're actually provoking more anxiety because chances are we're anxious about it. So we want to explain it to them so that they can do things. But this is the world that we're handing them. This is, you know, my daughter says, you know, as a, as a good 20 something year old should say, I can't believe what a mess you guys left for us. Exactly. I "I agree. I agree. And I'm so sorry, but I know you have the tools to create something new. And at each step of evolution, we become more and more conscious of what we're doing. And I just think that, you know, that goes forward. But to give little ones so much information and the curriculum of a Waldorf school really does kind of gradually, like the beauty of like a fourth grade education is they have to learn to create a map of their room, their home, and then their journey from home to school before they ever get to the point of learning about the United States, the world, Mm. the solar system. Like they need to know what's in here before they go out into the great world because it allows them to understand it more in a relative terms. And this reciprocal relationship with the earth only makes sense when you've spent, you know, your whole life immersed in it. It can't be this changing the world and creating the earth, you know, saving the world, saving the earth and creating a better place for our environment can't be an intellectual thing. It has to be a living, breathing, physical doing. And children know that more than we do. We're in Mm -hmm. our heads all day long as adults. And we say we want more racial justice and we want a cleaner environment. But what are we, you know, a lot of us are doing things about it, but we also can get paralyzed in the concept of it all without actually just like rolling up our sleeves and children are great at rolling up their sleeves and the more little ones are allowed to participate in our daily tasks the more we strengthen and um, nourish their will forces and the will forces are what they need to take whatever concepts that they've created as an adult and actually do the work yes You know, because if we do all the work for them and just keep them in their heads with intellectual, you know, concepts, they won't have the uh, strength in their will to actually go and do what they need to do, what they're here to do. I love that, the strength. I wish I had that education. Yes, me too. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. Well, we need to wrap it up pretty soon, but um, I'd like to talk about, you talk about the importance of harmony in a child's life. And I think you've already Mm -hmm going over this a little bit it goes along with the essential qualities and you say knowing I would say they go together really knowing Mm -hmm. this harmony essential qualities is like unlocking a big secret Mm -hmm. and once again can you just kind of bullet point those those things again that that you talked about with the boundaries rhythms living in the moment 
Mm-hmm. You, want, you want me to remind you? Yeah. No, that's what. <laughs> that's always so. That's always like the pinnacle of what I'm what of what I'm bringing what to the do. parents every day. Yeah. Right. And we love, and they love talking about it. And of course, you know, sometimes it feels conceptual, and it's hard to understand until you actually live it with a young child. Of how they're sometimes parents will come to me and just said, "Oh." You know, I kept telling my child that this is what we need to do and she wouldn't understand it. But then I just stopped talking about it and started doing it myself. And now she does it with me. I was like, yes, yeah, exactly. So the imitation and because children live in such harmony with the world when they first come, they don't even know like the difference between them and the other or them and you know, the little ladybug, it's all one, they're open, their senses are wide, and they're just taking it all in. And so they so revel in doing whatever we're doing. And so we tend to as human beings, you know, having these children want to have them want them to be happy. That's our kind of goal a lot of times. But when you really unpack that happiness is not just this like, it's not the same as joy. It's, yeah. it's short lived and you want them to have joy in the world. You want them to have struggles so that they can learn how to um, come into balance, come into harmony with themselves, with their own bodies, with the other human being, with the world at large. If we take away and baby proof the world and take away all of these struggles, we're not allowing them the chance to kind of come into relationship with things and learn how things work. Um, I feel like the loving boundaries that we provide for them allow them to have that freedom within to discover things. And then they know also, okay, this is, this is where mom holds the line. We don't go any further than this. And we don't have to, with a young child, we don't have to talk about it. We can just live it and be it. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think we want them to be happy. So we, you know, just from a standpoint of maybe a new mom, just trying to like survive with a new baby or a toddler and you're exhausted and you've had no sleep and you probably haven't had enough to eat because you're busy running around. But we always think, okay, we're just, just get, as long as they get get to to their nap and go to sleep, (laughs) then I can get all these things done and get the dishes done. And then you're just more exhausted. But the babies and toddlers really need to have time to play in their environment and see us folding the laundry or see us washing the dishes because they want to do it too. And when they're old enough and able to, they will participate and our family culture will be richer for it because we're all together doing the same Mm. thing. And then we're in harmony with each other. We're in harmony with the world. We know our place we know where we stand. We know our relationship with nature and how we care for it because we've been doing alongside someone else who's been doing. And we don't learn that from concepts. Yes. Yeah. Summer, what about if there, um, so there's someone is, has passed in the family or an animal or, or something um, just that is tragic and um how did how what is the waldorf how do you comfort comfort a child 
Yeah, you know, I think in a Waldorf way, what's really lovely, at least I don't know if you would call it Waldorf, but as a Waldorf teacher doing a lot of um, self-development and inner work like we're all, like we all do, uh, I've come to this realization that, you know, just like what we were talking about before, little children learn by doing. And so to allow them, I did have a parent who, um, because I also mentor parents one-on-one who came to me and said, you know, I have this friend who's dying and she's a big part of my child's life and I don't know what to do. How do I talk about it to prepare him? And he was only three. And I said, I don't think any talking about it is necessarily going to prepare him. He may not understand it, but whether it's a grandparent or, you know, a tragic death of a friend or even a pet, having a ritual that you could do together yes that allows them to physically be part of some kind of ceremony it may mean you know this this parent we talked about creating a little altar in their Mm -hmm. garden and whenever they found something in the yard that reminded them of a friend they would put it in this special place um, or give it some wishes or you know all these things that you can actually do that are a celebration of that person a celebration of their life it's very healing for us too if we can do it in that way with our children and then the other thing I would say which is a very rich part of Waldorf education is creating stories and so you create beautiful stories maybe they're surrounded by um, or inspired by the memories of that person or maybe you know something about their childhood and you create stories around there that you can tell at bedtime, that you can tell that your child as they get older might help create more stories mm-hmm. around it. And that person or that dog or that grandparent gets to be the main character. It allows that living memory to continue. And I think that's so helpful, especially if you believe that um, those who've crossed over are still with us in this plane. Because then I think those who have crossed over feel very nourished in knowing that we have this continued relationship with them and they can still contribute to what's going on in our world right now. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Summer, we need to wrap it up. Is there anything Mm -hmm. that you would like to say that I didn't ask you or any little words of wisdom? No, I I just (laughs) feel that parents today need more support than ever before. You know, we don't have the bigger family holding us and we're not always close to living close quarters to people who can be supportive. So any way that we can build community for them is going to help children grow into the best that they can be and allow the parents to be living their life with their children in joy. And I think by being present for someone who is an empty nester now and thinks, oh my goodness, if I could have only been a little bit more present (laughs) in those moments, you know, it wouldn't have gone so quickly, but you know, it's fleeting and it goes by quickly and yeah, you want to hold them as long as you can and be present and not be in a hurry to make them do things or be things that they're not ready to be or do. 
So true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And if people want to reach out to you, um, if you wouldn't mind if they did <laughs> No, or not at find all. you, how would they do that? Um, they can go to my website, harmoniouschild.com. Okay. There is a newsletter there where I send out parent, um, I try and send out weekly parent inspirations. Wonderful. And so if they wanted to sign up for that, they can. And then they can also find my email there if they want to, summerserpy at gmail. Um, then they can just reach out if they have any questions. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was Thank so you, Marla. enlightening and um, just brings back so many me memories for me. Beautiful, beautiful memories. I still have Waldorf dolls and all kinds of, I have Yeah. all <laughs> mm -hmm. the, I have all the books they've made. Um, it's just um, great stuff. Yeah. My treasures. Yeah. Treasures. Well, thank you and you have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Marla. You You're as welcome. well. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you.